Welcome to another episode of our Six Questions podcast. I'm Trent England for Save Our States, and joining us once again, uh, he's been on before. He is uh, has been our, our senior legislative director at Save Our States, transitioning to to be uh, um, our our senior fellow. Um, I think uh, for all of his his good work, Sean Parnell. Welcome back. Ah, glad to be here, Trent. It's uh, it's great to, to have you on another six questions. Nobody knows more about the problems of the national popular vote interstate compact than you do. And frankly, I think one thing we learned, we're going to talk a lot about uh, the, the, the last couple of days. We're, we're recording this after returning from Minnesota, from St. Paul, where there were hearings on national popular vote bills in a House committee, a Senate committee, both of them ran through by, you know, the committee chairs on a party line basis, uh, not allowing for very much debate. But one thing that did become clear is even the people supporting the national popular vote interstate compact don't really understand how it works. So uh, I, I want to talk about that here. But first of all, Sean, just tell us where do things stand in Minnesota? Right. Uh, so as you mentioned, the uh, bills passed out of both the House and Senate elections committees uh, and there have been sent. They, they they call it sent to the floor. That does not mean that like a floor vote has been scheduled or anything. It just means it's out of committee. It's eligible to be brought up. Uh, my understanding is that there are people looking at this and saying there might be some constitutional issues and maybe the Judiciary Committee needs to take a look at this. Um, have no idea whether the advocates uh, are, are willing to, you know, have real discussion on uh, those constitutional issues, not just the federal constitution, but also state constitution. Um, but anyways, at, right now it's on the floor of the Minnesota Senate, or at least, and, and House, at least able to be called up. Uh, and we really don't have a good idea of when that might happen. Could be in a week, could be in, in three months, just have no idea what the uh, the process is from here. We do know that there's a very active agenda that uh, both the, the House and Senate majorities have that they want to push through. And it's not clear that this is one of their higher priorities. Uh, so it could be, you know, quite a while before they get to this, but we just really don't know. Yeah, Minnesota was a state that had mixed political control, Democrats uh, with a majority in the state House of Representatives, Republicans with a majority in the state Senate. That changed in the last election. Democrats picked up a very narrow majority in the state Senate there. Uh, but they do now uh, run the state House, run the state Senate, have the governor's mansion, and they have been pushing through a whole bunch of agenda items on a party line basis. Uh, what what and I, I do want to let people know. I mean, what what we know about this at this point is that uh, it appears, and you know, all these things could change, but it appears that all of the Republicans in the Minnesota legislature are against national popular vote, and at least uh, you know one or more of the Democrats in the legislature are also against national popular vote. Uh, but at at this point. Uh, it's entirely possible that the Democrats could find enough votes to, you know, as they did in these committees, ram ram this through uh, purely on a on a party line, um, even losing a couple of their votes, which, you know, which was the story the last time this came up in a serious way in Minnesota. It was defeated by a bipartisan coalition. Uh, most of the Republicans were against it and a lot of Democrats were against it as well. 
And, uh, you know, that that despite uh, the national popular vote campaign spending uh, lavishly on lobbyists, especially paying uh, lobbyists who had sort of Republican credentials, because uh, that's, you know, they, they spend most of their money on on that, uh, because, hey, you know, if you're a uh, if you're if you're the left wing national popular vote campaign, uh, you know, you, they, they tend to get a lot of Democrat support uh, without spending any money, although they there's plenty of Democrats in opposition to it as well. So, um, right. Sean, I want to I want to ask you the, the question I alluded to at the very beginning. Even supporters of the national popular vote compact don't understand how it works. That was on display in Minnesota yeah. uh, with with the lobbyists there pushing the compact, didn't want to talk about the details of the compact. So, Sean, explain for people who are against it and even people who are for it, how does the National Popular Vote Compact actually work? Yeah, so the, the idea is that, of course, every state plus Washington, D.C. still runs their own election. They, uh, you know, people cast the ballots uh, under their state's laws. Those ballots are counted in different ways according to each state's laws. They're potentially recounted, again, according to different state laws. And then uh, every state uh, has a you know, statewide canvas, a statewide certification process, uh, at which point you know, ideally they have a, a vote total that they you know, put out for the public. Um, the way the compact works is that because the states that are in the compact, their chief election official is supposed to go out and obtain vote totals from other states. Uh, the lobbyists or one of the lobbyists for national popular vote referred to the vote totals as being transmitted to the chief election uh, official of each state, which is true from other member states. So like right now, New York and California are both member states of the compact. The chief election official in California will transmit California's vote totals to New York and New York will do likewise. And, and the same thing with all of the states that are in the compact. But if and when this compact ever goes into effect, there's probably gonna be at least 25, maybe 30 states that are not in the compact. They are not transmitting anything to the national popular vote states. It is up to, that secretary of state or, or director of elections, wh whoever the chief election official is, it is up to them to go out uh, onto the internet, basically, uh, and, and track down and find these vote totals. And they're not necessarily that difficult to track down. Every state uh, division of elections or secretary of state they have on their website, uh, you know, the statewide canvas or the, um, uh, you know, certified vote totals in a handful of states. They will actually put the certificate of ascertainment online, uh, which is a document that's actually required under federal law. Basically, after states determine, you know, who their electors are, they are then supposed to submit what's called a certificate of ascertainment to the National Archives that says, you know, these are the 10 people or 54 people or however many electors they get who have been appointed as electors in our state. And here are the vote totals that were used to, you know, the, or, or the, the other ascertainment uh, used to determine that this is the correct slate of electors. 
so uh, the the member states have to go to non-member states to track down these vote totals. And that's where a lot of the problems start to arise, obviously, because, uh, you know, every state is, you know, running their own elections. They're doing things differently and it doesn't always line up neatly uh, with what national popular vote expects. Yeah, and uh, that, that leads right into our our question number three, uh, talking with Sean Parnell on our Six Questions podcast. Is there any kind of national popular vote or official total and and Sean I you know even doing historical research one thing that makes me curious about this when you go back and look at vote totals from past elections you can go to different sources and the numbers that they have are not always the same even for an election that happened 50 years ago you can find different vote totals um, so what's going on there? I mean, is <laughs> is there actually the potential to have some kind of official national popular vote total, uh, which, you know, obviously is just an academic issue when you're looking backwards. But, you know, for the interstate compact, that seems like that would be important. Yeah. And that is really where things start to fall apart for the compact and in terms of, uh, you know, being able to produce a vote total that people have confidence in and that, that is conclusive that everybody looks at and says, well, yeah, that's that's the vote total. So, you know, you, you mentioned looking back at history. If you look at the 1960 election between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon, uh, it is still unclear who actually received the most votes. It primarily has to do with um, uh, Alabama, the state of Alabama and how Basically, their electors, first of all, they did not list the, the candidate names on the ballots. Uh, they just listed the individual electors. And you could vote for individual electors. So if you wanted to, you could vote for, you know, six of the Democrats and five of the Republicans. Or I think there was literally a white supremacist party on the ballot in, in 1960 or something along those lines. Uh, and then the third thing that that really uh, threw a monkey wrench into the idea of there being a, a national popular vote count is that six of the 11 Democratic electors who, who won in Alabama uh, were not pledged to Kennedy. Five were, six were unpledged. They actually wound up voting for uh, Virginia Senator Harry Byrd when it came time to cast their electoral votes. So at the time, there were people looking at this and saying, Oh, okay. So we'll give five elevenths of the Alabama popular vote or the Democratic popular vote to John F. Kennedy, which of course uh, is just an academic question, right? I mean, exactly. It, yeah, it's it, it, sort it, of for the the media of the day trying to figure out how to exactly kind of make exactly. up a national popular vote. Yes, and and some media said, "Oh, five elevenths go to Kennedy," so that means Richard Nixon actually, you know, won the popular vote, this mythical national popular vote. And other people looked at it and said, "Well, you know, they were all Democrats, and so we're going to credit Kennedy with that," uh, and, and that then gives Kennedy the national popular vote uh, win. Uh, which is, I think, what a lot of people are taught today in schools. I mean, I think I remember being taught that in history that Kennedy won. Uh, the 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 mythical national popular vote, um, and, and you're right. It, it was an acad it's an academic exercise. However, <laughs> well, uh, and, and I think partly an attempt to give legitimacy to 
John F. Kennedy, which, sure. you know, which, which fine. I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to quibble with that. Right. I mean, to the, except that it's a little bit dishonest or, or misleading. And a lot of people haven't, you know, they, they don't know the real history of that right. election. I want to, I want to do something I wouldn't usually do on six questions, but I want to make sure that people can really wrap their minds around this. And there, there's a, there's a website I use called David Leap's presidential Atlas. I don't know, Sean, if you use that, that website, I've but they do, I, I'm actually, yeah. I'm going to pull it up um, right <laughs> here while we're talking because they, I mean, this is a place people can go to uselectionatlas.org and they can get the election results. They can, you can go back. They've got it for every presidential election. So it's a great resource to understand how the electoral college works and how presidential politics works and, and all of this. I, I love it. You know, obviously, uh, super, uh, super nerd on, on all of this, <laughs> but, uh, but they, if you pull up the results on their, <clears throat> on their website for 1960, they do reproduce this total that shows that Kennedy has more popular votes, but then mm -hmm. you go down and you read the notes and they explain that that's kind of maybe <laughs> not really the case right and so yeah. it's a great if people want to dig more into this it's a great way to to do that and uh, and it's, it's really interesting because uh it's not just you and i who know this obviously yeah. it is actually in the book every vote equal they acknowledge that 19 that's the self-published book by the national popular vote campaign exactly yeah. yes they, they, they printed out a huge part of the internet. <laughs> I mean, they acknowledge in the book, they're like, yeah, 1960, maybe Nixon, maybe Kennedy, but somehow it just never registered with them or they just lost right over the fact that, well, if there was no national popular vote, official vote in 1960, why do you think that you can do it now? And, and that was one of the things that their lobbyists said was that of course there's an official national popular vote count because there are 51 official state vote counts and, and as 1960 proves and, and actually there's other examples as well uh but as 1960 proves that's just not the case you have yeah, 51 I mean, different could, sets of elections and you, you can't just mix the results together yeah we could give people examples is recently, and I, I don't, we don't need to go into this because you've written it up at saveourstates.com, but 2016, uh, or two, was it 2020 in California? 2016. They, 2016, where they, they basically just a, a tease, and then you got to go read this at saveourstates.com. <laughs> they, they gave Donald Trump double the number of popular votes. Now, no, no media reports this, right? Because again, it's an, what the media is doing in 1960, in 2016, in any election is they're trying to come up with a number that sort of makes sense. And so if California right. makes this mistake in how they design their their ballots and list yep. presidential electors, that has the effect of on their official vote totals, they double the number of votes that Donald Trump had. Well, the media takes that and they say, oh, yeah, like we're going to discount half of that. We know right. what's going on here. But to the extent that anybody's done that, to the extent that people are, that academics are doing that about 1960, to the extent that the media is doing that about 2016, those are the decisions that will be made by individual secretaries of yes. state in NPV compact states in future presidential elections. If the compact takes yeah. effect, I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, to me, it's just totally shocking. 
Yeah. Um, you and, know, I feel like these these NPV lobbyists are just sort of driving us toward a cliff that some of them at least understand is there, but they they don't want to admit it. And they're just they got their foot down on the gas pedal. They're taking all these state legislators along for the ride uh, based on this, you know, a few bumper sticker slogans about democracy and every vote equal and all this stuff with a with a plan that uh, that actually just doesn't work. I mean, is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah, yeah, I think that what the what it ultimately does is it puts secretaries of state or, or equivalent uh, state officials uh, in the position of judging other states' election results and trying to figure out, you know, do, do I really accept that California gave an extra four and a half million votes to Donald Trump? Uh, yeah, and, and common sense sort of says, well, of course not. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, we've seen on both sides of the aisle you can't always rely on the common sense of every elected official in the country. And and, and frankly, uh, you know, to the degree that national popular votes lobbyists insist that, well, you just take the numbers off of the official statement. Uh, well, OK, the official numbers in California show nine million plus votes for Donald Trump uh, when only four and a half million Californians actually voted for Donald Trump. Again, yeah. getting back to this ballot design issue. And I'll just say, you know, here in Oklahoma, very red state, our secretary of state is appointed, not elected. Mm -hmm. um, but oftentimes that person wants to run for office in the future. And it's, I mean, you think about a Republican who supports the Republican nominee is saying, look, it's not, California messed this up. If yeah. California doubled the number of votes for the Republican nominee, why should I second guess California? Right. right? I, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, and that's <laughs> as you say, I mean, either side, either side would would do that, could do that. And, you know, in, in some cases, I've got no doubt, you know, people on both sides would do that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, Sean, let me uh, let me jump ahead here. Question number four on our six questions podcast diving into this a little deeper, there's a specific conflict that has come up as the state of Maine and now the state of Alaska have passed laws to use a new voting system called ranked choice voting to choose their state's presidential electors. No problem if they're just voting for their own state, potentially a huge problem if the results from those states are being mixed in with other states. Sean, explain that to us. Yeah, the, the problem, and I'm not the only one who's identified this, actually, some of the, the leading advocates for ranked choice voting and other alternative forms of voting, like approval voting and range voting, there, there's a variety of different ways of doing it other than the plurality first past the post that I think, you know, most of us are familiar with and that most states use. But a lot of people have identified this problem. Basically, the compact expects that every state is going to have a plurality voting system that reports a single vote total for every candidate. Uh, however, under ranked choice voting, there are at least two vote totals. There's the initial vote total uh, before they do the ranking process of, of transferring votes from lower performing candidates to better performing candidates. Uh, and then, of course, there's the final uh, uh vote total, typically going to be just two candidates left standing. There might be intermediate uh, rounds as well, depending on, you know, how many other candidates were on the ballot. Uh, but the problem is that there's no guidance in the compact as to which vote total is supposed to be used, the initial or the final. And these numbers can differ by tens or hundreds of thousands of votes. Again, well, putting those secretaries... If it was state, a big state, 
it could differ by millions of votes, right? I mean, if California adopted this, you could be talking about I mean, potentially a couple million votes that would be adjusted, deleted. Right. Yeah, that's exactly the case. Uh, so you've got this uncertainty and you put the secretary of state or, again, equivalent official in the position of, of an NPV member state of having to, to decide which vote totals do I use? And in a close election, and, and frankly, when we're talking about hundreds of thousands or even millions of votes, uh, you know, anything under four, five, six, seven, eight million votes in terms of the national margin is now a close election. Uh, but they get to choose which vote totals they want to use. There doesn't really appear to be any uh, oversight. There's no coordination. So you theoretically could have, uh, well, practically, you could have a situation where some states are using the initial vote totals and some states are using the final vote totals, which means that the compact you know, breaks apart with half of the states or some of the states voting for one candidate and the other you know, group of states voting for the other. And, and, and let's and not it's be, a mess. I mean, I don't want to be too critical of the folks who wrote the National Popular Vote Compact. They wrote it at a time when no state was using ranked choice voting statewide. And so, I mean, it just shows the one of the problems with the National Popular Vote Compact is that it's inflexible. It can't be changed right. because it's, you know, what in the law we call an, an adhesion contract. It's a take it or leave it deal. Um, and and so they just didn't anticipate this problem. But Sean, question number five on our six questions podcast is what what is the NPV response right. to this conflict with ranked choice voting? Right. So basically, what their argument is, uh, it's kind of a hand wave, you know, just to try and dismiss it. But what they claim is that there, oh, there's really no conflict. Maine, you know, adjusted their uh, law in terms of how they report uh, their ranked choice voting totals. So this is all, you know, a, a big nothing uh, burger. There's no need to worry about this. And, and there were actually members of the committee uh, yesterday who were saying, well, Minnesota doesn't have ranked choice voting and no uh, states that are in the compact have ranked choice voting. So this just isn't an issue. And I had to explain that no, because if you're in the compact, you have to go to Maine and Alaska and obtain their vote total. Yeah. I mean, uh, that was the moment. That's the problem. You know, that, that, that's one of these moments where you sort of lose faith in the legislative process. <laughs> the people pushing the bill, including, I think, the bill sponsor, don't understand how NPV right. works. I mean, just fundamentally don't don't understand at all the 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 problem, but but even just the process, yeah. uh, which which is really is really disappointing when you see them jamming this through, trying to minimize the amount of debate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that is not how the legislative process is supposed to work, and it's not how you make good policy. But it, Sean, sorry, yeah. I I interrupted. No, that, that's okay. So so, anyways, th their argument is, hey, Maine passed a law saying that on their certificate of ascertainment, they're just going to report the final vote totals after all of the votes have been transferred. Uh, there's a couple of problems with this. Uh, the first is one of the problems that ranked choice voting creates for the National Popular Vote Compact is what happens when a third party candidate like a Ross Perot uh, finishes just in second place in a ranked choice voting state. And Ross Perot actually finished in second place in Maine in 1992. Uh, what happens in that case is the third 
place candidate in, in Maine, it was uh, George H.W. Bush, is it the, uh, the in the final vote totals, George H.W. Bush has zero votes. And because the ranked choice voting process takes a bit longer to do, you know, most states, Florida is reporting their vote totals on election night and everybody else is reporting the next day. Ranked choice voting, it takes a while because you have to centralize the vote counting instead of simply counting all the votes uh, in at the precinct or the county level. So what happens under national popular vote when you have that situation like that Ross Perot in 1992 is the entire nation sees that, uh, you know, for a, a week or two weeks or however long it takes before they press the button and use the ranked choice voting process, they see that there's 300,000 votes or, or whatever the number is for that third place candidate in that state. And then all of a sudden the button is pressed and 300,000 votes disappear for that candidate. And, and maybe some of them trickle up to the other major party candidate or they go to the independent or third party. I mean, who knows? Uh, and some of the where, people won't, they won't have ranked other vote. candidates. Yeah, so those yeah. votes just disappear entirely. They just disappear entirely. Uh, and so literally, you know, in a, in a close election, and we have had elections where hundreds of thousands of votes were the margin between the two candidates, uh, the whole nation watches as, you know, 200,000 votes or in a bigger state, like you said, in California, a million votes just literally get erased and, you know, wind up elsewhere. And that's going to be very controversial, I think. I mean, I, I think that when people see, you know, if it changes the outcome of the election, uh, that's going to be very controversial. And, um, you know, people are going to be very outraged over that. But so, well, so that's one of them. And National Popular Vote admits that this is going to happen. They put out a yeah. memo a few months ago saying, yeah, this is going to happen, but it's still better than winner take all was sort of their take on it. The two other problems yeah. are. Yeah, that, sorry, I, I mean, it, it, yeah, national popular vote, th their official response is fascinating because they they do. Yeah, I mean, they don't tell this to their to the legislators, I guess, because the legislators don't seem to, under, to, to know anything about this. But but they admit that, that there's a conflict and then they just sort of wave it away by saying, well, you know, it's we, we the this current system we we dislike it so much that even though our system doesn't really work, it's got to be better than what we have, right. which is <laughs> which is an odd criticism of a system that we've used to elect presidents for over two hundred years. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the the two other problems with what they have said about this uh, law in Maine are first, it completely ignores that Alaska also has ranked choice voting, and and Alaska has not passed a similar law to what Maine has passed. Um, and the more important problem, I think, is that the law that Maine passed does not actually fix the problem. It does, you know, say that on the certificate of ascertainment, it will just be the final vote results. But national popular vote has gone to great pains over the years to say that it is not just the certificate of ascertainment that you can obtain vote totals from. Uh, I mean, they've got some really bad ideas like going to county level and even precinct level and trying to add it up yourself. But but there is one other document uh, or even two documents, kind of depending on, on how each state runs it. Every state has a statewide canvas or, or a statewide certified results. And in Maine, they also have a report that the secretary of state sends to the governor on the ranked choice voting process. And those uh, statewide canvases, I've, I've looked at them in both Maine and Alaska, 
the report that uh, the, the main secretary of state sends to the main governor has those first round and those final round and any intermediate round uh, results. So a secretary of state that is looking at, say, main sec uh, certificate of ascertainment and saying, I'm not real comfortable with the, the Democrat who finished in third place in Maine having zero votes. Yeah. I'm going to go and I'm going to use the numbers off of the statewide canvas where, you know, the Republican won maybe and the independent took second, but there's still those 300,000 votes or however many it is for that Democrat that finished in third place. I mean, I can completely understand why a secretary of state would say, I'm not good with erasing all of those votes. I think that the first round votes are comparable to what the other states are doing. So those are the vote totals that I'm going to use. Um, yeah, you know, I... So I, I was just I was just thinking uh, I, this popped into my mind, you know, for our particularly for our Democratic friends who support national popular vote, you know, because they they think that surely it will all work out. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, the national popular vote system, the, the mechanics of it. Right. It's, you've got something uh, a little bit like the Iowa caucus system. Which you know the the Democrats Iowa caucus system you can easily explain and in theory it should all work just just <laughs> fine right I mean there's no sure. what possibly go wrong <laughs> yeah yeah and it turns out quite a lot can go wrong if you don't understand the process and and, and just let human nature take its course <laughs> I mean this is this is I think this is one of the failures of uh, a lot of modern political theory and discourse and reform movements. And and the and the great triumph of the American founders is that you know for for whatever people think their failings were, one thing that they understood was politics is politics. Politics is a bunch of human beings competing, you know, on on issues that they think are very important. Um, on you know for for elections uh, and power that that always involves self interest. And so, <clears throat> as soon as someone says. You know, well, this is simple, and you know, because it works in theory, you sort of know that they're not—they're not really a serious—they're not really a serious actor in politics, right? They're not really a serious thinker, right. and uh, you know, I, I think some of the folks behind National Popular Vote are very smart people when it comes to sort of solving math problems or you know, <laughs> building castles in the air, as they say. But when it comes to actually understanding how politics works, yeah. you know, I think there's a mix of of sort of honest naivete and and sort of feigned naivete when it comes to pushing yeah. this compact. Sean, our, our last question on the Six Questions podcast, talking with Sean Parnell, a great member of the Save Our States team. He and I were just up in Minnesota defending the Electoral College there. Uh, Sean, there was also talk from those pushing national popular vote that, uh, well, the second place, you know, the second place candidate should never win an election. What's your response to that? Yeah, I think that they just fundamentally misunderstand kind of how our elections work in this country. I mean, I, I was sort of thinking about how, uh, you know, it, it, getting back to Maine, uh, you know, they use ranked choice voting up in Maine. And, you know, some people like it, some people don't, whatever. Uh, but in 2018, the second place candidate in Maine's second congressional district won because of ranked choice voting. Now, if you're 
a real fan of ranked choice voting, maybe you don't see it that way, and that's fine. Uh, but if you're not a fan of ranked choice voting, it's real easy to see how, you know, you look at that and you say, but my candidate had more votes in the first round, and that should have been what counted. I think that that's what a, a, a lot of these people who say things like, you know, oh, the second place candidate should never win. Uh, I, I don't think they understand that, you know, we have a very dynamic political system. It's not simple. And there are reasons why we have a two-step democratic process for electing the president. And the just just like the Democrat who won the seat in Maine, despite being the second place candidate uh, under, you know, the one one view of ranked choice voting, uh, you know, Donald Trump won the most votes because the Electoral College gave him a decent majority. That's what counts. Just like in ranked choice voting states, it's not the initial vote counts. It's the final vote counts. Uh, you know, the, the people who say things like, oh, the second place candidate should never win when they're talking about the presidency, they are not looking at it as the two-step process that it actually is. And I'll just say, you know, our neighbors to the north uh, up in Canada, their premier, Justin Trudeau, uh, you know, he his party finished in second place in the popular vote because the conservative party turns in astounding margins, like 80, 90 percent margins in two provinces. But, you know, they have some support elsewhere, but not nearly what they do in those two provinces. And the Liberal Party just has a much better representation, much better presence across the entire nation of Canada. And so that's why the Liberal Party wins control of parliament and then they get to elect the president or not the president, the, the prime minister. Uh, it, it's it's very common, um, you know, throughout democratic nations throughout the world for the I mean, second place. Party. Yes, that's the parliamentary system. Yeah. I mean, that's how it works. And I mean, and this was another this was another thing that came up specifically at the hearing. There were I think it, I think there were two different people, uh, legislators who made the comment or, or maybe they were lobbyists who made the comment that, well, how do we explain this to people in other countries? Right. Uh, I mean, I. I, I always wonder, are there people up in Canada sitting there saying, you know, Justin Trudeau was the second place, uh, you know, second place in terms of the popular vote in in I, in both of his elections, right? Yes, both of his elections. I mean, are they up there hand wringing, you know, what will we say to the Americans, eh? Right. I, I don't I don't think that they are. Um, but, it, it you know. It, it goes to just the, the ignorance that people have about how other countries' political systems work. I mean, especially a parliamentary system. I mean, that is that's the big democratic process around the world. Uh, and it's uh, it's actually, if you go back historically, a part of the model for our electoral college process. Yes. Again, the folks pushing NPV just don't. They either honestly don't understand or they pretend not to understand because they think it's a good talking point. Right. Uh, you know, I, I tend to think that they just honestly don't really, you know, that, that folks pushing NPV just don't get it when it comes yeah. to but how I've literally works. spoken. Yeah, I've literally spoken to Canadians before who were upset about our electoral college. Mm -hmm. And then I would ask them about, well, OK, tell me about, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau. And they're like, oh, well, OK. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I see your point. It's like, yes, you know, that that's the 
healthy democracy is not giving the majority everything it wants on every subject all of the time. That's about the worst form of democracy that you can imagine. That makes sense to me. We've got to wrap it up there. Sean Parnell uh, with Save Our States. Thank you so much for being a guest again on our Six Questions podcast. Thank you for having me. And I'm Trent England for Save Our States. We will be back uh, next week, I believe, with another great episode. Uh, I think we ho- hopefully going to be talking to a journalist uh, who covers national politics. We'll we'll see. We'll see. You know, everything's always uh, a little bit up in the air till the last minute. But we're glad to have you here, and uh, we're glad to have you as a part of our work to defend the Electoral College, defend our presidential elections and our constitutional system of states. This is foundational to the success of our country in the past. And if we want that success to continue into the future, uh, we've got to do this work right now to defend the Electoral College. And we're so thankful to have you on our team here at Save Our States. Make sure you are connected with us on Twitter, Facebook, uh, by email. You can visit our website, saveourstates.com, to connect with us in all of those ways. And until next time, I'm Trent England.